You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Would love if you had your Bibles to open up to uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 6 with us. Um, quick, uh, embarrassing dad moment. So um, I was uh, excited on Friday to take the kids to the drive-in in Greenwood to go see uh, Mission Impossible 7. And uh, I was so excited that I was like on the edge of the driveway, like waiting for my kids to come home. You know, they're, I'm more excited out of the two of them. So I'm like waiting for the kids to come home. And sometimes when I dance uh, in front of Kyra, she'll ask me the question, would you dance that way in front of the church? And just to show that I am an integral person, I will demonstrate. So it's Friday. The sun is out. The car is coming home. The kids, they're at work coming home in the Accord. And, and when I dance, I just, I, I don't copy, I express. You know what I'm saying? So like the feeling that I had, it just kind of came here, and I'm in the sun, and here's my yard, and the lawn is mowed, and we're going to agree, we're going to get a thing, and the cord comes down, and I just, bop, I just hit, ah, I just kind of, yo, Friday, hey, like that, right? I did it, just like that. Okay? Car comes up on a cord. I didn't budget. I'm in the moment. I just come out of the heart. I feel it. I don't copy. I just express. Car comes out, and a 55-year-old man rolled down the window and just goes like this to me in a white accord. We call that man fake dad, okay? Because that was the, that, I used to drive the Honda Accord before I gave it to Rose, and so every time the kids would come home, they had the same kind of a dance. And uh, it was not dad, it was fake dad. And so I danced for fake dad. I did not dance for my real kids on Friday. You're welcome. Uh, that's what she got. So um, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, um, if you're just joining us, we're typically making our way through whole books of the Bible. Just finished James. Going to do Mark in the fall. Excited about that one. From now, in July, we're doing a series called One Another. Can you say One Another. Yeah, one another. It's a phrase you got to know. It's in the Bible. It's in a lot of the, the scripture, especially right of the, uh, of the Gospels. One another, love one another, host one another, greet one another, pursue one another, you know, forgive one another. The one another's of the Bible, 55 different commands, 100 different instances of basically what Jesus meant when he prayed, I pray that they're going to be one. It is a unified diversity. It's, it's not just the same clones. It is baby boomers and Generation Z and millennials and and African-Americans and Asians and white people and young people and old people and people of different classes, somehow strikingly in a compelling way, deciding instead of living against each other to live one another and for each other. And the commands of scriptures that, that roll out. And so what we're doing for the rest of a couple of weeks is taking each kind of a relationship, first parents, and then we're in the church and neighbor, brothers and sisters in the church, uh, uh, spouses, um, uh, uh, bosses, uh, discipleship relationships, just taking each of these relationships and saying, would you shape these relationships in the name of Jesus? Would you shape these relationships? Because at the end of the day, when all the chips go back in the box and there's no U-Hauls you know, behind um, uh, hearses, as they say, uh, the most amount of space where we're going to both know God and be known is in relationship. It's in that domain. It's in that place that God has ordained that we are going to do the most knowing of God and helping God be known is in relationships like that. And so you're in Ephesians chapter 6 as, as we get going. Um, I was in a coffee shop the other day, and uh, next to me was a cool kid. And uh, he, didn't have, he didn't even need to tell me. He had clothes on his back that I couldn't pronounce, and if I wore, you would look at me funny. Like, he just had clothes, but the way he wore them was just right. And he wore them with a sense of, of confidence that I got. I was buying what he was selling. I was into it. And uh, he had the headphones, not the AirPods. It was like the big Apple ones right here, and he was cool. And... Uh, and, and, he had, and he was studying, he probably looked like he was going to med school, he was studying some pretty smart books too, smart kid, cool kid, 
And uh, he's sitting there with the, uh, the other buddy, and they're just doing cool things, cool life, cool kids with the cool clothes on. And then the mom comes in. Mom comes in. There's a great joke um, <clears throat> Tina Fey did on a Jimmy Fallon interview this, this, this one time where she's like, uh, when you're, you're a mom of, of, of a teenage kid, you're kind of like that guy or that girl who has a crush on that significant other who's not as much in crush of you, if that makes sense. You're into that person more than they're into you. So it's like, hey, uh, me and the fam are just going to go to a movie later. I don't know if you guys really want to come. It's okay. It's okay. If you're busy, you don't have to. It's okay. I wasn't really. You know, it's like you're into them, they're into you, right? So here comes the mom. And you can tell the mom. The mom just loves the kids. The mom loves the kids. When the kids go off to elementary school, when the kids go off to work, when the kids go off anywhere, the the mom's heart goes with the kid. It doesn't matter what's going on. That's the heart of the mom. Mom wants hearts with, with the kid. And she, she wants to be involved. She doesn't want to boss him. She wants to stay connected at the table. And so the kid has a lot of leverage, has a lot of authority, you know. And I'm like cringing because I'm remembering me being, get out of here, ma. Ew, you don't even know my life is like, you know. <laughs> get out of here, Gary. I'm a stuffed dog, Gary, you know. Like, get out of here. And so, you know, he did a little bit of that and reminded me of that. But then it was almost like, it's just like, it's almost like this divine interruption. Like it was like something that was normal and casual all of a sudden got interrupted by something that was very uncommon. I think it was a Christian family. And right at the very end, in front of his mom, in front of the kids that all came, the little siblings, he said, love you, mom. I was like, oh my goodness. It was like kind of a loud interruption, I think, to, to what goes on, I think, in the normal day. And then, and then this other little kid came over, like his little brother, he's, you know, six years old. Look at my Tyrannosaurus Rex. And, you know, brought up the little paper and he was like, that's awesome, buddy. Oh. You could hear the father's love and see, you know, the, the vision for family there. And even the kid, the, the friend, it was like that culture just even shifted of like, oh, wow, like uh, that recapitulated the way that, you know, I would think about, you know, people or, or parents or whatever. And then even as the mom left, said one more time, you know, I love you, mom. And so um, what we have in our scriptures about these different roles is, is their designations uh, to the fact that you and me are all called to the one spirit, one baptism, one, one Lord overall in Jesus but we're called to love him and love each other in ways that only you and I can do. Proof of the, tr- truth of the matter is, is that um, um, we do not all have the same amount of money, and that very much affects the way that we will love one another. We do not have all the same experiences or past, and that will affect. We have different relevances of what's cool and what's not and what's hip and what's not, and we have the ability to use those differences against each other or come under each other to serve each other and lift each other up toward Jesus, and that's the choice we have to make within the animation of the spirit. And so we open up this scripture, and here comes the deacon, and they read out these roles. You know, when you get picked for the football team, you don't get to pick your position. The coach just decides it for you. And so you read out these roles, and there's a lot of elbowing I get. If the deacon comes and reads this, and it says, honor your parents, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of elbowing today. Like, <laughs> But just as soon as they get done with that one, they shift over to the parents. And the Bible is, is not sheepish about pronouncing, you know, what we're doing in obedience with one another, because we do have an opportunity, we always have the opportunity to use our differences to leverage each other or love one another. And this is the kind of letter that, that happens in, in Ephesians chapter 6 as, as you get past the high and lofty things. And so he gives this command, it's basically the core roles. And you and I have this choice. Um, not because, not if, not then, not so, but, but because of what Jesus did to us, to, to love one another in this way. If you were in somebody's belly for nine months, you have an opportunity to love your parent through the practice of honor. It's your choice. Nobody else can make you do it. Nobody can guilt you into doing it. It's just your choice. You have the decision to love. And what does love look like if you have somebody that's older than you? You can honor them or you cannot. It's your decision to do. And secondly, if you are a parent, you could choose to treat your kid like an Instagram prop and just kind of drag them along. Or you can recognize that they're a person who is designed to follow Jesus. And you have the privilege 
and the right and the responsibility to raise them up in Jesus. And so what you have is a one-way command, not conditional, unconditional, one-way command that is three things. Number one, it's universal. If you were carried in the womb at nine months and you're a Christian, the command is to you. If your parent is strict or loose or toxic or not here, there is a conversation to be had with the Lord that the command is still standing, not to be abolished, but to be filled in the Holy Spirit to honor your parents. We will, we will speak to that, and that will be very much a part of our faith. It is a universal call to all parents and all, and all children. Secondly, that it's unconditional. In other words, you know, people will say, well, just love your mom and call her every now and again. She'd come change your diaper and clean up your spit up. Call her. Maybe those are good reasons to call your mom, but that's not what Paul is talking about. When Paul says that, the reason why we honor is because it's right. Not if it's a good day or a bad day, or because you get something out of it, or they brought you into the world and they might take you out of it one day. It's because it's right. It's because it's what Jesus is doing in our midst, and it's the way that we can know and make God known in, in, our, in our time. It's also unlimited. It's, 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 it's the, uh, the clause. The, 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 the clause is in the Lord, as Jesus did to you seven times 77. So it is that we raise and we honor because of what Christ did for us in the Lord. It is, it is one of the greatest places that we will, we will know. It is a formative and formational relationship that we will always have. You can have ex-spouses and ex-kids, or ex-spouses, ex-bosses, ex-homes, but you can't have an ex-parent. <laughs> Your parent is the longest relationship that we will ever have, and it's a great opportunity for us to know and know God um, through that relationship. So Ephesians 6 says this. <laughs> Children, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, for it's right. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So the first part is that for the little kids that live under houses is to obey your parents and to honor your parents. But if you don't live in a house, but you're carried in somebody's belly for nine months, then you have a, a call, an opportunity to, to preach the gospel by honoring your father and mother for all the days as an adult child. Honor your parents, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you to enjoy long life on the earth. Anybody here a Rodgers and Hammerstein fan? Uh, uh, King and I? Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Sound of Music. Uh, we got uh, Sound of Music, Kurt von Trapp, and the seven German siblings. Liesel and Gretel and Philip or whatever the names are. Hansel or whatever. Pop, step up. This is the scene that comes out of uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's favorite, uh, famous Sound of Music. Julie Andrews comes into the room. They introduce the seven little kids, whistle, they all do their little dance, and they all sing, and they introduce, introduce the kids. And so, um, and so there's the oldest one going on 16, or 16 going on 17, and the youngest one all the way down in a row. And uh, when I look at this picture, and I think about that play, from a Webster's Dictionary sense, I definitely see the word obedience, you see the word obedience? I definitely see the word. They're doing what he says to do. They're showing up on time. They're seen and not heard. They're, they're being obedient kids. And I also see the second one, which is honor, a sense of reverence, a sense of um, respect. I see obedience, and I see honor. But when you think of Jesus' picture of the father and the family, is that the picture that you get? If you do a little Greek you know, study of the word obedience, the word picture for obedience is like a person knocking on your door and you deciding to answer it. Obedience is you are inside of a dorm room and the annoying person comes by to ask you to lunch and you don't want to go with them, so you just turn the lights off and pretend like you're not there. Humans can be very selective in answering the doors and answering phones and text messages for the people that call them, right? Obedience is not just doing what somebody says, it's to listen to their heart. 
It's to understand the divine possibility that God is a generational blessing God and wants to hand down generational blessings. And if it's in our opportunity, in our control, it is opening the door when the door is knocked on. It is not just about coercion, blind coercion, and carrots and sticks. Secondly, the word honor speaks to uh, precious metals, like a value. To honor somebody is not just to like talk well of them or give them lip service, but it's to genuinely work to see the God-given divine image of God in them and the price that Jesus paid for somebody. Honor is to fix value on anybody else, let alone your parents, based on Christ. It's to respect them because of the value they have in Christ. So if you put those two things together, I would say the main thing that the scripture has that the Von Trapp family I'm missing on when I see the picture is that although I do see obedience and I do see honor and respect in the Von Trapp family, within the family of God, I think the thing that is not subtracted but added to that is love. If you put the equation up there on the screen, I think that what uh, Paul is saying in Ephesians 6 is that parents are honoring their, or children are honoring their parents because they love them, because they see God's divine blessing on them, and secondly, that they're not just doing what they say, but they're listening to them, and not because I took you into the world and I can take you out of it, because, because that's what Jesus did. So here's the way I would summarize it, that God's command to children is more than just do what they say, you know, do what your parents say. That's the floor. God's command to children is more than do what they say because it's better than just do what they say. It's to listen to their heart because you love them in Jesus. What a privilege and opportunity it is that in a world of Bart Simpsons that you can pretty much do whatever you want to your parents and be celebrated for it, you choose to do something else and preach the gospel loud. As a kid, you have an opportunity to preach the gospel better than any other preacher, and it's real simple, just by loving and listening to your parent. That's a loud thing in a, in a backwards world. Loving your parents and listening to them. And so obviously this is very complicated, it's very convoluted for some of us, we have different varying relationships, some of our relationships with our parents are distant or broken or flawed or fractured or, or all, all across the board. So honor can, can look like many things, but it really does serve the same you know, core value of love. Loving your parents upward is what honor really means. It's to value your parents, you know? Like there's something that everybody in your circle thinks that your parent is great of, and you're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. My dad, da, 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 because my dad's so awesome, blah, 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 right? But you're close to them, so you think it's stupid. I've seen that. Dad, that's the stupidest thing ever, right? But you have an opportunity, though, to, to, to look past, you know, into the mustard stain of the shirt they have or look at the greater sense of honor and the value of the worth of what they have and celebrate that honor. That's your choice and nobody else can make it. I've seen Christians that do that and help us see Jesus by doing that. You also have parents that are mixed bags. Actually, all of our parents are mixed bags, and it's the opportunity to value who they are without stumbling over who they're not. You do have an opportunity to bring up the six-tenths of the things that they do wrong, but you also have the opportunity to celebrate and vocalize the things that they're doing right, and that is your opportunity to boast in Christ and the gospel through that. Or you have a person that is pretty messed up and not honorable at all, and they've hurt you and allowed others to hurt you, and they have not stood up for you, and so on and so forth. And even in that, you have the opportunity to have compassion and plead for Jesus on their behalf, and that's honor too. And so honor can look like a lot of different things, but all the things of honor always communicate love. It's not just doing what somebody is saying. It is valuing them in Jesus because that's how the gospel goes forward. So he goes on, and just as we're done you know, elbowing our kids, you know, he elbows the parents right in front of everybody else too. And also for parents, the way that we raise our kids is in Christ. It's universal, it's unconditional, it's unlimited. Fathers, it says in verse 4, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. So it's a, kind of a um, uh, squirrely little way to talk about it, but um, I just thought about it myself. Could, you know, 
Could you think about Jesus uh, parenting some of the disciples the way that we parent kids sometimes? Could you imagine Jesus out there on the waves and looking back at Peter on the boat and saying, Peter, if you do not get out on these waves on the count of three, I'm going to come over there and smack you upside your head. Just wait till your dad comes home. If you don't get out here, Peter, get out on the water, you know? Or if they're in the boat together, you know, it's the one where Jesus is taking a nap on Sunday and the kids are like, Daddy, I want to go outside and waking them up, you know. You know, Jesus waking up, boy, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to turn this boat around. We're going back to Capernaum in a heartbeat, you know. Imagine Jesus doing some of this stuff. Or could you imagine, you know, um, uh, uh, Jesus, you know, the, guy, the, the, the guys come up to him for bread and kind of like, uh, I'm going to smack you, you know, I'm going to smack you upside your head and put the fear of God in you if, you if you speak to me without faith one more time. It's like sounds humorous to think about, like God parenting the disciples the way that sometimes we parent or we were parented. Imagine the Lord of the universe asking a person that's cheating on their spouse to get him water. This is the meekness and the humility of the leadership of Jesus. He's the Lord of the universe, and he's asking you to go get a donkey and trusting you to do it. Somehow God's sense of authority and God's sense of of, of understanding of the way the universe works and the way that he is leading and and instructing and getting the Spirit to do things, if you do the Von Trapp parenting, you get the Von Trapp picture. But if you want the church, we follow Jesus. And what he's saying there is that parenting is not just telling kids what to do, it's leading them to Jesus. Jesus that those kids are going to leave our house one day and they do not belong to us. We are borrowing their authority for a short time and hopefully give it, give it to them back with interest, improved upon the authority that they lend us, by the way. But we, have no, we ultimately don't have authority over. Those are humans. Those are people. And our, we're instructed not to just carrot and stick them to get it, them conveniently posed for our Instagram post, but to lead them to Jesus. What a harrowing task. What a difficult task. We might need the Spirit to do it. In other words, God's command to parents is more than just telling them what to do. It is to love them and lead them in Jesus. What a powerful privilege we have. So I don't know, yeah, how would you describe that frustration when you got your first job with, with people? You know, you stopped making burgers and you actually had to be in charge of people. And uh, remember this? You sent out an email to like 50 people and you actually thought they were going to respond. Do you remember that? You were dumb enough. You were like, I'm going to send this CC thing. And the way you lead people is just send out an email and get them to respond. And you got one back and you were like, this is unbelievable. People don't answer their emails. And you move the text message, the same thing. They don't respond to text messages. You work at a church and you're like, oh my goodness, like if this was happening at GE, we would just, you know... Uh, uh, punish everybody and get them to show up and not call out from working at kid service on Saturday night, right? And then you realize, oh, it's a lot harder to leave people when you can't pay them, cut them, raise them, or fire them because have, you have nothing, no leverage on them other than your leadership, right? Or, or, or you're you know, put, put in, in, in charge of something and you realize that oftentimes it seems like the credit seems to just sort of roll away into other people's hands and the criticism seems to all make its way back to you. You realize that leadership is a lot harder than telling people what to do and when you're in that position, you're not just called to, to, to coerce people and move people. You're called to actually, actually uh, lead people. And so here's the reason why I think that Paul is saying that we are leading our, our, ch- our children in Jesus and not just exasperating them and thumbing them and carrying and sticking them, right? It's because our people are not widgets, or our children are not widgets. They're people. That if, that, if, that if our children existed to be Instagram posts, they're the most expensive Instagram posts we've ever had, right? If you, you know, you want to be self-actualizing and I want to be a mom and I grew up this way, and I really want to have the kids around the Thanksgiving, you're going to have a rude awakening because those kids do not exist as your props. And life and experience in the middle of the night is going to teach you that that is the most expensive Instagram post you've ever bought, okay? And then, you know, and then you move on, and, 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 you're, and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're basically, you know, you would never say this, but you're, you're trying to create systems and procedures to get them to go to sleep so you can have more me time at night, right? And you realize that that doesn't work because our children are not people or puppets, or are not puppets and problems, they're people, excuse me, of my Freudian slip just there. They're people. They're people. And one day, they drive off into college, and that kid that you used to work at at, at YMCA that you're like, how do their parents ever... 
you're going to have one of those kids, and you're going to send them. And you realize they did not exist to just carry on your business. You did not have those kids just to carry on your ministry. You did not have those kids really to do anything for you. You actually had those kids to serve them and lead them up in Jesus. What a privilege, what a responsibility to love another human being in the name of Jesus. That's not what you signed up for when you got pregnant. That's, you're in for a hard time. <laughs> That's the purpose of, of, of what parenting is. And so just a couple of words, of, I mean, so much, I mean, easier to preach than, than to do. But, you know, if you're thinking about it, of, of, whether it's chore charts or consequences, those are all wonderful things to do. But ultimately, the heart of it, the, the very indelible impact that we might have an opportunity to do here is to lead children under our household for 18 years to Jesus. Three things up there is to celebrate. Like, you know, you could take them to church and say they need to, you know, read their Bible, but if you love football, they're going to see that you love football. That's the indelible impact. The things that you criticize, the things that you correct, they're coming before you. They're showing you the T-Rex page. And your response to that is the most important thing to parenting across, across and, and apart from anything else. The things that we create, not just criticize, it's the trips and the, and the, and the relationships and the questions and the dynamics. This is really the, the arsenal of our parenting. It is not coercion, it's leadership. It is coming on the boat and saying, if you want to come out on the water, come and follow. And putting our heart with the risk of having them not. So we see after all this that the reason why there's a universal, unconditional, and unlimited command to raise and, and honor kids within the household is because ultimately we realize that parents um, and children are not the point of Jesus, that parent and, parents and children relationship are not you know, just served by Jesus, but they exist to serve Jesus. That the parent-child relationship is not there to carry on the business or to make myself look good or you know, to have somebody to blame for all of my problems. The parent-child relationship is existing to help you and me know Jesus better. And, and so if you put those two commands, it's why it's one way, it's why it's unconditional. Children, obey your parents and the Lord because it's right, end of sentence. Even if they don't love you back, even if, they're, if they, you don't appreciate their brand of humor, even if they're you know, bigoted, even if they're not Christian, that your part, that it's really not about them as much as it is about you, that children, you have an opportunity to boast in Jesus by, by the way that you honor your parents, end of story. Secondly, as a second and divided command, not an if, then, or but, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord because in a deaf and dying world, that is God's love language to the world, that they're going to see Jesus by the way that you parent. And so it made me think of this, um, this, uh, this, this thing that I did in, in senior year when, when Kyra, me and Kyra were long distance dating, and so when she moved away, I didn't have anything to prove anymore, so I just danced in front of everybody for no good reason, and, and, I, and, I, and I joined uh, the Fiddler on the Roof play. That's when senior year, and you don't care about any of those freshmen, you're just like, I'm just going to make the biggest fool of myself possible and just see what comes out of that. And so I joined the fiddle on the roof, and I sang Edelweiss for my little tryout, and I wasn't as good as Ashley Giaseddin, who got the Tevye part. And so uh, uh, I was uh, way down the bottom of the list of the, of the, of the drunk Russian uh, in Act 3. That's what I got, the drunk Russian. You can go back in the catalog of Play High School. Uh, I don't know if I was typecast for that. I don't know what that was, okay? Wasn't drinking a lot in high school, but, you know, I, I went off of Jackie Chan's Drunk of Kung Fu, okay? And so my job was in Act 3 after the big wedding scene was I'm supposed to have uh, the, the bottle on my head or the Velcro bottle, and I'm supposed to just kind of wobble around like this and just kind of bop, and then, you know, dance like this little, I don't know what kind of staccato beat that is, and I was just, you know, dancing. And we would, we would just rehearse, and you get bored, guys. I mean, the lead is up there, and they're singing tradition, and they're singing these things. You got nothing to do. So your time is on the stage. You time to make the most of that. I'm ready to just ham it up. I'm making, making my director laugh. I'm making the kids laugh and all that kind of thing. And I literally, there's one where you have to like jump over the shoulders, this little frog hop and land it on a big open, just boom. Just, I would land it like that. 
And just I would, my goal was to make, to make people laugh. Um, until that, that director, that 27-year-old guy who was like leading out of the you know, goodness of his heart, pulls me over uh, one time and he goes, he goes, Wong, I'm going to break it to you. Wong, you need to reel it in, dude. Like, he's like, he's like I, I can tell you're a thespian, but you need to reel this in. And this show is not about you. You need, you need to reel it in. And I was glad for his, his directive control. I was glad for his little uh, advice. Because uh, opening night comes out. And lo and behold, Tevi comes, and he's in all these marks, and the parents are loving it. And it's like, you know, sunrise, sun, sunrise, and then, and, then the par- and then the moms are like crying. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you can't mess this play up, guys. That's my point. Like, if you had a cue card and read these lines, these are, this is Roger and Hammerstein. This isn't, you know, Apple TV or whatever, right? This is like solid, you know, this is, this is incredible script writing. And then I come out, and I'm drunken, uh, rich, uh, drunken Russian guy. And I, and I jumped over the shoulders in the big open, and, and, they, and they laughed. And the first night, I finally come to realize, like, what my part. I, was, I, I come to realize I was a small part in the big play. I was, I was there to be the comic relief. Then in the drama of life, I was just one little bit of the play, but I played an important part. And if I didn't, the distance between act two and act three wouldn't make sense. And I was really glad for that part when, once I understood where I, where I fit. And so I think that's what's going on. Like, if you, were, you and me were the same, love would be easy, wouldn't it? Like, if I didn't have to get past your hang-up and your trigger and your love language and the things that are hard for you but are easy for me, then it wouldn't cost me much, would it? But that's not what the call of the discipleship is. That's not what the call of the gospel is. That he sits down there and he, and he says to love everybody, but then he goes down and he, and he runs off roles for us in the crowd and he says, you do this and you do this, and if we all do this, then the world will know that Jesus is Lord. But this show is not about you and you don't get to pick your role. Your faith is to do your role even if they don't. And maybe that's why that's the fifth commandment, the first one with a promise. And maybe that's why it's the fifth commandment, the first one that's actually a person. Maybe that's the reason it's the first relationship that you'll ever have because it's a great test to love a parent or love a child with such high stakes on the, on the ground with little or no control in the response. But you don't get to pick your role. You have a short little amount of time as a spouse and as a child and as a family member to love the way that he's commanded you to do it but without the control of making the show happen the way that you want it to revolve around you. And I think that's, that's what's happening to us between the years of zero and 18 and then 18 until the rest of our lives is the opportunity to honor our parents or not. At the end of the day, we are going to have an opportunity to love and worship Jesus through the honor of our parents or we won't. And then there'll be a time when that ends and that will be that. Same way as we raise our children, we have a certain amount of time to raise them in Jesus' name and raise them in, in, their, in, in Jesus' blessing rather than Adam's blessing. And after a while, that, that window will close. But there's a song that only we can, there's a, there's a worship thing that we can only do with some of these relationships. So I, I wrote it down this way. Honoring our parents, I think, is the first command because it's the foundation for all of our other relationships. You know, there's a reason why when you get into counseling, all the conversations <laughs> lead back to your parents because they are a big deal. I think the Bible knew about that when it put it as the fifth commandment, as the opening thing for how we do relationships in the gospel to go back. You want to start a revival. You want to go on mission. You want to start a prayer movement. Go home and love parents first. You want to be a missionary and see the the world change? Go home and love your kids first. Your your family is your first church. Honor your parents is the first command because it's foundational for every other relationship. The way that you submit to your parents and the the relationship, the, the image that you have will deeply impact your relationship even with God let alone the bosses that you will have and the spouses that you will have and the kids, the, the language and the dynamic in which you foster either healthy or unhealthy relationships with your parents currently or backwards deeply impacts all of your other relationships. It's the highest risk, it's the highest cost, and it's the greatest blessing. It is a long life with God 
because it begins the relational pattern that we will have for the rest of our days. And so what we do with our parents deeply matters, even, dependent, even regardless of what they do to us. So what are relationships? Relationships are roles and connections and boundaries. That's what they are. And if we're reading the Bible, we have ears to hear. And if you're a child, regardless of whatever your parents are doing to you right now, you have an opportunity to preach the gospel by honoring them. How are they different than you? They don't know how to use their iPhone. Big joke. That's funny. Ha ha, dad doesn't know how to use it. That's funny. Like, I admit, it's a funny thing. I mean, I got on my mom's phone one time and auto-corrected her yes to the whole Gettysburg address. So every time she answered the word yes, the whole Gettysburg address. And I'm not taking it back. I think it's hilarious, right? I think it was done in, in, in good humor, right? But there's going to come a day when your kid looks at you like an idiot because you can't build a robot out of thin air, and then you're going to be wishing you did something different. You have leverage on your parents. Just because they're an authority over you doesn't mean that you don't have, you don't have power. You have an opportunity to love them or to, or to, or to um, have contempt with them. And you have the opportunity to use their weakness in technology against them or for them. It's up to us. Your parents, you know, the 40, 50, 60, you know what the, the, the Erickson development stage of that is? They're wondering if their life mattered. You know, when you're looking at people in their 50s, you know they, they look a little bit more timid and they're a little shaky and they're a little insecure. You know why? Because the world's moving on without them and they don't know how to use an iPhone and they just want to know, did anything I do matter? And you have the opportunity to be quiet or loud on that to be an enemy or a friend on that. That's yours to do, and they're not going to be able to, con- to pull it out of you. Similarly, when our kids come with Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, drawings or whatever, um, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to raise them in the blessing of Adam or raise them in the blessing of Jesus. That's pretty much the whole Genesis story is people fighting for a birthright, standing in front of their parents. Will you bless me? Only to find out the real blessing they need is Jesus. And so when we pray for our kids, you can even hear in Isaac when he prays for his kids, I love the musk of the summer rain, and I love this, and also I bless them in Jesus' name. To be sure to know the difference of taking kids to the Clemson games, but raising them in Jesus. To blessing them with a good college tuition, but raising them in Jesus. It's an opportunity that only you and I can do. This is our chance. We don't get to pick the role, but we can choose of whether or not we're going to play it. To play the role that Jesus has called us to, come what may, in the family of God, with our faith, at great cost and great risk, because the blessing is there, because it's a long life. There is no... No relationship you're going to have that is going to be longer in your life with more sin towards it and more sin from it than your parent relationship. Just by sheer volume of of interactions, you are going to sin against your parents and your parents are going to sin against you more than any of the relationships. So as a Christian, I'm looking at that as the greatest way I can preach the gospel. It is a long life, an opportunity to have a long life, an eternal life to bless your parents. There's no place, right, that, that we're going to have the same amount of of relationship, sometimes maybe that's the blessing that our parents change because you know what? Everything else in, in our world changes and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So maybe that's the way that God's preaching about the way that he doesn't change. And we might be thankful for that. And also, there's probably no greater gap of generation. You're looking at two generations across with no relevance. You, you can't help me. You can't promote me. You can't. So it's a test of whether or not I'm actually going to love somebody based on Jesus or based on whether or not they can help me. It's a, it's a huge opportunity to live a long life with Jesus. So... The role is to honor and to raise. The connection is a long life together, a long life of many, of hopefully a lot of Thanksgivings and Christmases to preach the gospel and receive it in powerful high-risk ways. That's the connection. That's the blessing. And what's the boundary? The boundary is you're not raising a widget. You're raising a child. You're raising a person. And one day they will grow up to go and celebrate, correct, and create the things that they're called to do regardless of what you're doing. And so we are going to raise and obey for sometimes what we're going to love and honor always. And we're leaving this place as kids out into the world of 18 without the control and an opportunity to boast in Christ and know that he was the one that was raising and honoring it all the way around. 
Do you honor your parents in Jesus? Not because they're nice to you or not because they deserve it, not because they're honorable, but because Jesus has loved you. That's your chance. That's your role you could play. Do you raise your children in Jesus? Not because they're obedient or not because they're fun or not because they're grateful, but because he loves you. And that's an opportunity to, to, to preach a love language that, only, that a deaf and blind world can hear. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.